1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you are listening to episode number one. During today's show, we'll cover introducing you to our podcast and format, as well as introduce myself and my co-host, and then we'll get into uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly of our 2015 deer hunting seasons. Welcome, everyone, to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, along with my co-host, Phil Marchek, and you're listening to episode number one of the podcast. How's it going, Phil? It's going good. It's going good. Did uh, do you happen to get a chance to do anything interesting deer-related uh, this week or since we this, last spoke? This week? Uh, physically, no. I've had many dreams, though. <laughs> that reminds me <laughs> of, a, of a blog post I had a few, uh, a few months ago that I included uh, this story. Um, it was near deer season or coming up on deer season and my wife and I were getting ready to go to bed. And, uh, for those of you that don't know, my wife's name is Megan, uh, which would, I think, uh, be a hundred percent of the entire audience. <laughs> um, so we were getting ready to go to bed and, uh, um, you know, deer season's coming up and I'm getting amped up of course and, and ready to go. And, uh, you know, we lie down and the, the lights on my side of the, on my side of the bed. So she asked me if I could turn the light off before we, um, before we hit the sack and, um, you know, as I turned the light off, you know, we exchanged the, the pleasantries that are usually uh, accompanied by, you know, a couple going to bed in the in the evening. Um, he just says something to the effect, you know, good night, honey, or good night, deer, or something to that to that effect. And I blurt out, I love deer seizing. <laughs> it's a true story. It wasn't planned. Um, you know, there was no uh, f- faulty intentions behind behind that comment other than I absolutely do love deer season. And I think that's a good indication of the type of uh, obsessive deer love that you'll get uh, week in and week out uh, on this podcast. And as far as uh, anything interesting as far as deer work goes or, or deer related, I have had an opportunity to get back to the farm uh, in the past month or so. Um, got a chance to go, uh, chase some birds on one Saturday, uh, work on some of our food plots, hang a few game uh, trail cameras, uh, did a little scouting on the mountain, found a nice buck bed. Phil, I know you've been back to the farm once. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely excited to, to see a little bit more of it. I got a kind of overview um you know mm-hmm. weather didn't really work out so well when i when i was there but uh 
Uh, it's exciting stuff. Yeah, I know the weekend uh, that we were back there, you could barely see uh, five feet in front of your face. But, um, you know, th- there's a large mountain that comprises about 40 acres on our farm that uh, literally nobody hunts. It's, it goes virtually untouched. It's a it's kind of a tough hunt. Uh, the wind's a little bit fickle on the mountain. So this year I've kind of made it my cross to bear uh, to see if I can't figure out how to hunt it and where the deer are at. I did manage to find one really nice uh, buck bed. I thought there was a, a, a nice, a potentially mature buck that was living on the mountain, and I think that this is the bed that he's using, so I'm hoping that I can locate that toad. Uh, yes, the unicorn. Yeah, yeah, the unicorn for sure. So I haven't had a chance to really get back to the farm in the in the past few weeks to, to chase some birds. I've been wanting to get back to uh, take Anna hunting, uh, and for those of you that don't know, Anna is my daughter. She's seven and has started shooting a bow and showing interest in wanting to hunt. So I've been trying to get her back in a blind uh, for a turkey hunt to sit for a couple hours to start to indoctrinate her into the hunting lifestyle, but the weather really hasn't been cooperating as of late. Yeah, weather has a tendency of not cooperating, usually more often than not. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. I think uh, we live uh, in Pennsylvania by way of Seattle. <laughs> Touche. Uh, indicated by the uh, type of weather we've been having recently. So just want to take a moment to thank those of you joining us in this first Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And as mentioned in the intro, the goal of today's podcast is to introduce the format and the type of content that you can anticipate hearing when you tune into the podcast. Also thought it would be worthwhile to provide you all with a little bit of background on Phil and myself, where we're from, what we're all about, uh, just to give you a better sense of who we are and uh, whether or not we may or may not like long walks on the beach while listening to Kenny G. It's debatable. It's debatable. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, then, so I thought a nice way to tie this podcast up would be if we shared a few of our interesting stories or maybe our best and worst moments from our 2015 season. And of course, if my season is any indication of what the bulk of the conversation will be around, it will likely be around the worst portion. I got a, I got a doozy. Yeah. <laughs> maybe a doozy and a half. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'd, say, I'd say you do. You can certainly contribute. Yeah, for sure. I think you most definitely can contribute. So I think our next order of business is really to cover off on giving some background or explanation of the format of the podcast and the type of content that we'll, that we'll plan to cover. So, uh, of course, this is our first podcast, uh, and our plan is to put out one podcast uh, every month. That's the plan for right now, and uh, maybe we, we may look to increase that frequency uh, if, the, if the content is, is coming fast and furiously and, and, and time permits. Uh, for us to do that, we would love to put out put out more. But for right now, we'll start with one uh, per month. As far as the type of content we're going to plan to cover, it's going to be everything and anything deer related is really our really our plan. Phil and I are both passionate about deer hunting, uh, bow hunting specifically, and we want to dive into as many aspects as possible related to that uh, related to to bow hunting. Um, so you know, the strategies may include or covering strategies may include hunting strategies, it may include food plot strategies, land management, habitat management, and things of that nature. Anything and anything, uh, everything and anything really is on the table for discussion we would love to also get some uh, input from and some feedback from you the listeners if there are questions you have uh, or questions you would like to pose for us to tackle we're happy to do that and in areas that phil and i may or may not have any experience we'd love to be able to pull in guests from time to time to lend uh, their experience and their expertise in in specific areas and then you'll also you know be able to just kind of join the conversation that phil and i have as as two friends that love to share stories about hunting uh, and, and and deer hunting specifically um, in some Sometimes the uh, the crazy life that ensues around all things deer hunting and deer related. So I think with that, that's kind of the topics that we'd like to cover. Phil, is there anything that you want to add? Uh, deer, deer, uh, and deer. So no, actually, I'm I'm really excited to be doing this. Um, I know you know you and I have been talking about getting this off the ground 
uh, a lot lately and, uh, you know, just happy to finally kick it off and, and, you know, get in, dig in with this. So, so let's do it. Yeah, no, I'm super excited too. I mean, it's like you mentioned, this is something we had been talking about, you know, putting together for a while and it's nice to see it's finally coming to fruition and, you know, obviously excited to share it out with, with all the folks to listen to. But like you mentioned, let's just kind of get right to it and I'll uh, take the first stab here and introduce uh, myself. As I mentioned at the top, my name is Clint Campbell. I started a blog called truthfromthestand.com. Uh, and really the intention of that blog was for me to just to document my outdoor experiences. As I mentioned, we have a, a farm here in Pennsylvania and that I get to do a lot of interesting uh, deer-related activities, whether it's habitat improvement, food plots, etc. Um, and just wanted to use the blog as a way to document uh, my experiences. And, and hopefully if someone reads it and, and they get something from it, that's awesome. If they read it and it's just kind of a, a funny story for them, then that's that's just as good. But that was really what the intention was, was to share the experiences with other folks and hope that maybe they can find a, a nugget of something to take with them from it. Um, as far as my background, I'm, I'm from Pennsylvania. I was raised in rural Pennsylvania. Uh, my entire family, for the most part, is from uh, rural Pennsylvania. Uh, I grew up hunting uh, with my dad. Uh, my dad was the one who took me out and taught me how to hunt. Um, so I was you know, obviously super appreciative of the time that he spent with me in the woods, uh, teaching me how to be a woodsman, teaching me how to be safe uh, in terms of you know, hunting safety and, and hunting ethically and, and, and morally, which I think are super important pieces uh, of hunting. Uh, I was fortunate you know, uh, growing up that my dad did own uh, 30 acres of, of land in my uh, had a few grandparents who also owned farmland near us, so I always had access to land to hunt whenever I wanted to, whether it was opening day for any given season or whether it was just me coming home wanting to grab a shotgun after school and going out pheasant hunting, pheasant hunting, turkey hunting, uh, rabbit hunting, squirrel hunting, you know, what have you. So everything from small game to up to uh, uh, bear hunting I've done in the past. Um, once I finished high school, I, I you know fast forward, uh, I moved away to Orlando. I pursued music for uh, a handful of years, which was a great experience. I did get a chance to hunt Alaska uh, with my dad uh, doing a, a, a bear hunt, which was awesome. Um, then my wife and I decided to move back from Orlando to Pennsylvania as we were getting ready to start our family and wanted to be closer to family as we had our uh, our daughter. And the, the, the plus side of that was that I was really getting to come back to be able to hunt in an area that I was familiar with um, and could kind of take up all those activities again that I did when I was a kid, um, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, as far as how I got into bow hunting, it's kind of a funny story how that all kind of came to fruition because growing up, my dad was predominantly uh, a, a hunted with a rifle and, and, and shotgun, and that was predominantly how I was raised in, uh, in, in a sense uh, as far as hunting was concerned. I do recall my dad going on a few archery hunts, but none that I ever necessarily went with him. It was always a rifle or shotgun. Um, so my first kind of interaction in, or first kind of falling in love with bow hunting was I was doing a turkey hunt the one fall and we'd go to our cabin um, that we have at the farm and a group of us guys mm-hmm. get together and, and um, we have a couple drinks and, um, and we have a good time. And the one fall turkey season, I had a little bit too much fun. I made the next morning kind of rough, but I wasn't going to be that guy that didn't get up and go turkey hunting. So I forced myself to get up, went and hit the woods, actually kind of passed out for a little while <laughs> in the uh, in, in, in the forest. And when I came to, I happened to wake up and saw some deer running after one another kind of frantically um, and just kind of sat and watched them for a while. And, and, and what I was realizing was that this was natural deer activity and I came to realize that it was really the pre-rut um, portion of, of deer season. And that was the first time I'd really ever seen natural deer movement because most of the time that I was hunting growing up and so forth, it was always during rifle season where if you know anything about or if you've ever heard, you don't even have to know, but Pennsylvania kind of has that reputation for having a lot of pressure 
um, whether it's public or private land, and that's what you know you usually experience in rifle season. So um, the fact that I was seeing natural deer movement where the deer had no clue that I was there, I was not in a tree stand, I was just sitting on the ground, um, and they were clueless that I was there, and uh, they were just working this one funnel that ran along this ridge, um, and that was kind of what sold me on, on archery hunting. I was like that type of movement to where you can actually start to predict and pattern things um, was something that interested me, so I just kind of fell... Uh, head over heels for for bow hunting and it's kind of been um you know uh, part of what i do and kind of an obsession uh since that moment and you know some some may say an unhealthy obsession but ultimately you know that's kind of what led me to starting the truth from the stand blog ultimately obviously led me to starting uh wanting to to work on a podcast and super excited to see where all these things kind of kind of take me whether it's you know hunting some new states this coming year and uh yeah and that's my story and i'm sticking to it that is fantastic. Actually, it's it's funny. Um, you know, I, I draw a lot of similarities. Uh, so let's start from the top. Uh, as you had mentioned, my name's Phil Marchek. Uh, so the similarities that I'm, that I'm referring to are, you know, I born was born and raised Pennsylvania. I grew up in the sticks, rural PA. Um, and, you know, I got into hunting through my dad. And uh, I, think, I think we share... Uh, pretty much the same passion for hunting in general, um, as well as for bow hunting specifically. Um, so my experience, uh, you know, where I grew up, I, we had a couple acres of land, nothing, nothing too, too big. Um, but it basically butted up against state game land. So, um, you know, I've, I've been hunting, uh, game land for basically my whole life. I mean, I've had some opportunities to get on, um, some, some private, pieces of land, um, or, you know, right. make a, make a trip to go hunt, uh, game land elsewhere in, uh, in Pennsylvania. But, um, I think that's, that's kind of where, uh, our hunting experiences differ a little bit where, you know, you're, uh, very interested in doing, um, uh, wildlife management, right. um, and, and with the land, uh, that you hunt, you have the ability to do so. Whereas, um, you know, I, uh, I'm not able to necessarily, you know, cultivate the land as, as well as I'd like to and, and get those food plots. So my, my hunting, um, has differed, uh, I think in some ways drastically from yours in that, you know, mm. I'm, I'm always on the lookout for where the food is changing. Um, and the food's not always consistent on the right. game lands and you have to see, you know, where new sprouts are popping up and, and track, um, you know, and not necessarily even have as much, uh, background as you do. Cause you're able to really scout hang cameras and, and do all, mm-hmm. do all that. Um, whereas, you know, sometimes, you know, I have to make a gut decision as to where, where I'm sitting. And, you know, luckily for me, um, you know, we're, we're at a part of the game land where, uh, we don't have a lot of, a lot of hunters. I mean, you know, rifle season is different. Uh, there's typically a lot of pressure regardless because it's game lands, but, right. um, from an archery perspective, uh, it's, it's pretty quiet. Um, I will say I don't have, you know, in rifle or archery, I don't have long shots. Um, you know, longest rifle shot I've taken was probably just, just shy of a hundred yards. Um, but you know, a lot of my stuff is in, is in brush. I hit, I hit the stands pretty hard, but it's close quarters. So I, when I see a good shot, it's usually 30 yards or, or closer. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, kind of backtracking to, you know, how I got into it, you know, as, as you had mentioned through your dad, it was the same with me, but you know, um, it was kind of like what we did. 
back in the day, you know, just from where, from where I was from. And I'm sure it was kind of to that point for you as well. It's just, right. you know, hunting mm-hmm. was just kind of, you know, as a kid growing up, you learn how to shoot a gun. And then the, you know, the next step was, was really small game in some time, in some cases. And then, you know, deer hunting and, it was just kind of a way of life, and and I I see a difference in my approach to hunting now than for the reasons why I got into it. I mean, now um, you know I myself have a family as well, um, a little girl, and uh, you know I I hunt because I love being outdoors. I love having that connection with nature, um, and I appreciate it. I appreciate uh, I appreciate the meat that I get from deer, um, and one of the things that I uh, and I'm really a stickler about is the whole whole idea from of knowing where your food came from right. and eating healthy and being healthy and you know seeing your your food seeing the meat from the field all the way to the table um so mm-hmm. that's that's one of the things I'm a big proponent of and and I find that you know I I like you and like a lot of other people would certainly love to have the toad to put up on the wall and right. and uh um you know and kind of have that that feeling that I think we're all kind of after, but at the same time, um, you know, I I'll be almost I, I was just shy of saying just as happy, but almost as happy with with just putting <laughs> you know putting my fair share's worth of meat in the freezer for for myself, my family, and uh, going a step further, you know, for for close friends having them over for dinner. I, I think that's that's a good thing to be able to to share. Uh, something like that with with people you care about. So yeah, Phil, I think you hit on a couple things there that are interesting and would make some really good follow-up podcast. One, I think it was interesting that you mentioned the the sharing and community component of uh, uh, of a hunter's harvest, right? I think a lot of folks overlook that or a lot of non-hunters overlook that or they're not aware of the community aspect of of a, of of a, of a hunter's harvest. Um, you know, we're as excited to share uh, the, the the venison or the elk or the duck or the turkey or whatever the case may be right. um, with folks that we don't know or that we're friends with um, as as much as we're excited to, to consume it ourselves or share it with our families. And in, in some ways, you know, for me, at least it's like if I find someone who is interested in eating wild game. Um, who has not in the past and is not a hunter, I'm probably more excited about doing that because it gives me an opportunity to have um, a conversation, a real conversation about hunting and what it means and how how it should be done, uh, you know, appropriately or ethically, you know, morally from from my perspective at least, um, which always is, you know, good to hopefully maybe turn a, a someone who is not necessarily anti-hunting but maybe isn't in the know, make sure that they're on our side or on the good guy's side, right, right, <laughs> as opposed to going to the to the to the dark side. The other thing that you mentioned that I thought was interesting was, you know, how we're similar that we grew up in the same state and had similar backgrounds in terms of how we learned how to hunt with our families, you know, our dads and so forth. But the fact that you grew up hunting a lot of game lands and still do, um, and I've pretty much predominantly have hunted private land all my, all my life, um, you know, for, you know, which you know, some folks might look at that. And <laughs> Rub like, it oh, in, why at, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> look at the fancy guy with his with his private land. Um, I did do um, a bear hunt when I was a kid um, that was on state game lands, and last year was actually my first whitetail uh, public land hunt. And I got to tell you, I had probably as much of uh, a rewarding feeling uh, during that hunt as I have any hunt that I've had on private land. And the reason was that I had to, I took a piece of land that I had knew nothing about. I had literally two hours to scout it. I did a speed scout during the summer. 
um, looked at Topo Maps, looked at the Google Maps and so forth, mm-hmm. and pinpointed a place that I wanted to go to, did a quick speed scout of it, and then went there uh, the opening weekend in September and climbed a tree, and two hours before dark, I had three bucks walk through. And for me, that was a big um, aha moment and was maybe in some ways more gratifying than when I see deer, you know, bucks or whatever right. on private land because – I really had to work for that one, you know, and it's, you know, when you see some of these guys that are these, you know, big buck killers that are killing big bucks on public land year after year, like Dan Enfault, who I've followed some of his podcasts and um, have read some of his, some of his articles, this guy, if I'm not mistaken, consistently hunts public land almost exclusively Mm -hmm. and is just harvesting huge, huge deer. Like we're talking like 170, 180 class type bucks, which are just unreal that you, I mean, in Pennsylvania, you'd be hard pressed to find something like that on a on private land or not. Oh man, yeah, um, I mean, but, just anywhere in the state, really. <laughs> right, but but those are toads, no matter where you go, and he's doing that on public land. You know, there and there's some. You know, I won't say that there's tricks to the trade, but you got to be willing to work for it a little harder than the guy hunting private land, which is, um, you know, have all the respect in the world for the folks who hunt public land um, and do it um, and do it with success. I think I think there's an element of of experience there too. Um, you know, it's. If you're two, three years into hunting and you start hunting public lands or, or you, you know, you've been primarily hunting public lands, um, as opposed to somebody who's been doing this, regardless of whether it's private or public, you know, if they've been doing it for 20, 30, 40 years, you know, any time in the field counts as experience regardless. So whether mm-hmm. it's private or public. So if you do, if you have, you take somebody who's doing 30 years experience and take them into a private land, they're going to know or have an idea of where to go a lot faster than somebody who's relatively new. And, and that's, mm-hmm. you know, experience isn't something you can teach. It just, you know, right. you have to go and do it. Yeah. I'm really excited for this upcoming archery season as I'm uh, as I know you and I kind of talked about it and I know that I'm definitely going and you and I are continuing to try to work out the dates, yes, sir. but I'll be going to uh, Ohio for a couple trips this year. Um, and that will all be public land hunting. Um, which I'm trying to get out here at the end of the month to start, you know, to do my scouting. I'm a little behind the uh, the eight ball in terms of timing here, um, but I'm really looking forward to that. I have no sense of what the expectation be f- for going out there, but just looking for nothing more than an experience, really. Right. Um, and I'm and I'm sure I'll get that. And uh, I'm sure I'll have a lot of what went wrong stories, <laughs> but I'm hoping I have the one day of what went right. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think even even though. You know, you might have a lot of what went wrong. I feel like there's going to be a lot of what went right that comes out of some of the what went wrongs because, you know, even though it may not have gone right for the time that you were out there, there's a lot of learnings that you can take and apply moving forward. So you make that trip again, you can turn the wrongs into rights, hopefully. Right, because it's certain. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. You know, hunting, regardless of where you're doing it, is is most certainly an, uh, an evolution. Right. It's not yeah. something that's static. But with that being said, the uh, mention of what went right, what went wrong, <laughs> I think we should go ahead and jump into uh, some of our best and worst moments of 2015. And um, I'm going to let you tell your best and worst moments of 2015 first, because I want to make sure that I uh, 
I want to make sure I get to chime in on 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 what I think might be the worst in case you in case you happen to gloss over. <laughs> so, um, you know what the the best moment of 2015 for me, I think um, you know, I there there were no there were no toads to be had uh this year, uh unfortunately. Um, but the best moment it was kind of a best in disguise because uh you know, I had harvested uh, a doe, uh, a, a large and actually old doe. I've seen her around um, my parents' property a lot. And um, this is during rifle season. And, <laughs> you know, typically I'm on vitals all day, every day. And more often than not, it's it's a heart shot and, and drop them on the spot. Because that's one, that's one thing I do know about you. It's like you're, you're handy with a firearm, that's for sure. I, I, I like I likes it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but you know, I, I thought I put a really nice shot on her as about, you know, maybe 30 yards and, uh, and she didn't go far by any means, maybe 20 yards if that, uh, but I was really surprised she didn't drop and I get up to her and, and, uh, you know, I, I start dressing and, uh, you know, start pulling everything out and I notice I didn't get the hard as a straight double long, which is totally fine, but you know, me being the kind of field to table advocate, um, you know, the best part about it was I had this full intact, um, unharmed heart and I'm thinking to myself, well, this is going in the freezer, going to eat it. Um, because you know, I, I would definitely, and, and a big proponent of, of using and utilizing as much of the animal as possible. Um, you know, I know that sounds a little cliche and, and maybe old school, but I think we really have to, you know, respect, um, you know, what we have here and respect the animal as much as possible. Um, so that to me, that was my, that was my best moment, I think. Um, you know, and, and I can be humble about that at least, but, uh, worst, the worst moment, uh, well, <laughs> uh, the worst moment came in archery season, actually. Um, it was a, it was a dad taken off from work. Um, and you know, it was late morning and it was middle of the rut and, uh, I actually didn't see the doe. So I was bleeding. I was grunting. I started to hear some movement and then nothing. And, uh, I look over my shoulder and, and there's, there's a nice size, a nice size buck there, a, a real thick, uh, eight pointer, um, that actually I, I haven't seen, um, in the area. So it kind of took me by surprise and I'm, I'm just waiting this guy out and he's no more than I would say 20 yards away, but in some real thick brush, all I really see is his head. Right. Cause where you hunt is all pretty much brush for the most it's part. It's field brush, some intermittent trees and it butts up against a wood line and the wood line, you know, it kind of opens up a little bit. Uh, the brush ceases, but, um, where I, where I typically hunt, I would, I would consider it, um, kind of the crossroads between, um, where the deer feed and where they end up bedding. Um, you know, you see some beds in the brush, some, some really nice spots, but I don't think they typically spend their nights there. I, I think they spend their afternoons there. Um, right. so anyway, so this, this buck comes out and, uh, I could tell he's hot on a doe, even though I can't see it. And he's just coming out walking real slowly, kind of feeling it out. And I draw on him and he's maybe... Oh boy, I put him at about 15 yards, and this is this is rather embarrassing. But I draw on him, and uh, just as I release, I jerked it, and uh, I I airmailed him by probably about two inches, 
And, you know, that's when you do that, especially from that distance, um, it's like it's like heartbreaking. You're like, well, there it goes. It's done. I'm going to go home. Season's over. I'm qu- I quit yeah. hunting forever. It's kind of like one of those bad <laughs> drinking nights where you're like, I'm never drinking again. And then you do it the next night. So <laughs> until the next day yeah. when you need to ha- and you need to hair. Exactly. The dog. Exactly. So so I, I, I basically just brushed the top of him. No blood. He turned around to one major hop, which is when I saw the full body size. It was a gigantic deer. Mm-hmm. And then stopped immediately right where he initially came in, turned around. And at that point, I knew, okay, he's on to something. He's not going anywhere. And he didn't even really – he didn't see the arrow. He didn't see me. He just heard it go into the brush. So literally about 10 minutes later, he starts coming back out again. And – I have another arrow ready to go, draw back on him, and he takes just a slightly different route. So he's he's ever so slightly angling away instead of being completely broadside. And I release, and as I release, I see the arrow clip the tiniest of branches that's not even really in my vision of sight. It's just, just the tiniest branch that literally causes the arrow to careen high enough where I air, air mail him again. And at that Ooh. point, he goes in the direction he was initially going in, and then I see the doe, and then they both go run off and, you know, hopefully Ga- hopefully, hopefully, over. procreate to make some more monsters. But, uh, yeah, right. so that was that was a pretty depressing day. And that, <laughs> that stuck with me for... I mean, it still sticks with me today, but I mean, that stuck with me for uh, a solid two, three weeks after that. Right. I, I remember when I got that text, <laughs> actually. <laughs> right. um, yeah, I, I was I was bumming for you because that's, that's, uh, that's always a tough yeah. one. I, I think if I were going to say – that was definitely 1A for your bad moments of, um, of the archery season. If I were going to provide a, a, a consolation prize winner, okay. I would say – busting up your shoulder in old man softball <laughs> right before the season, <laughs> which, which was the reason why you and I didn't get to do any hunts last right, year together right. is because during the early season, when I had some, uh, when we had some weekends that aligned for us to do some hunts together, still doing rehab, you were still, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you were still rehabbing your busted up shoulder from old man softball. So I think the learning lesson from that is, is I hope you're not playing old man softball this year. I actually, I, I actually am. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and ironically enough, the first game hit two home runs. Um, so I should probably just retire. You know, just right, end, yeah, end yeah. on I, a high I, note. But <laughs> I would end on a high note. Speaking speaking of high notes, I will, I guess, divulge my best and yeah, worst. Yeah, let's, let's from get at it. Twenty fifteen. Um, you know, I would like to say that my worst. I wish I had your worst because that would mean that I would have seen a really nice buck while I was at the <laughs> okay, farm yeah. during my quote unquote rutcation. Um, I guess I'll start with the the good first. Like you, I, I took a doe in archery season this year, um, the past two years. Uh, so so that was great. I was super thankful for that. Um, it was uh, she kind of snuck up on me. Uh, unfortunately, I was I, w- I was filming this year. Um, and she came uh, pretty quiet. Right. Um, it was a, it was an area of the farm that hadn't been touched for the whole for the whole week, and it was getting toward the end of the week. And uh, I just kind of took a flyer on it. I was like, you know what? No one sat here all all week. It's the only place that ha- it's virtually untouched. So you know there really hasn't been any pressure, any human sent there. Hopefully something will, something will run mm-hmm. by. And at that point of the of the week, I was really just trying to fill fill the freezer. Right. Right. Um, 
she came rolling by at about 20 yards, provided me, you know, gave me a perfect broadside shot. Uh, I think after I, you know, ranged where I, she was actually standing, it was about 24, 25 yards. Um, perfect double lung shot. She ran maybe 40 yards yeah. and expired. Yeah. There was not a lot of drama in it. I saw her drop. Um, you know, it was exciting to say the least. She was a, a big old doe. Um, a lot of meat. It was nice. Same thing. No damage to the yep. heart. So we actually pulled that out. We uh, we fried that up that evening nice, um, nice. At, at camp, and, and I shared it with you know my father-in-law and Tate, who I hunt with uh, pretty much all archery season. Um, so that was that was kind of the highlight. And then you know, as I mentioned earlier, that that public land hunt. Even though I didn't get a shot at anything, an arrow at anything, um, seeing those three bucks in on my first public land hunt for for whitetail was um, was a really close second to harvesting that doe, only because of the um, the work that I put in from afar right. and really just kind of had to rely on my, you know, ability to, to pick out good spots, read sign and read maps and, and, and make it well, happen. So yeah, that that's was motivating. I mean, you know, th- yeah. again, that's, that's a huge victory, um, just in terms of experience and, and also understanding, Hey, you know what? It was a short amount of time, uh, really unfamiliar with the territory, but you know, you did what you could, you applied what skills you had and, uh, you know what? You didn't come out with anything, but, um, you know, you saw you saw three, three bucks. So, um, right. yeah, that's definitely a win. Definitely a win. Exactly. And then, I think my worst. You know, it was it was kind of. I think there wasn't any one uh, bad moment from 2015. I think it was kind of the the aggregate of a lot of things um, that kind of went mm-hmm. on. So one, I mean, everyone you know knows it's not a, not a big secret you know pretty much across the country it was this way this way when we got into november which was you know you know your prime archery yep. time if you will the weather just you know, the temperature just skyrocketed it, it made it yeah it made it miserable um and unfortunately i took my week of vacation pretty much that entire week that we had you know <laughs> high 60s to like mid 70s to mid 70s uh, uh temperatures which made hunting pretty tough so that that was part of the bad you know and, and this next part wasn't necessarily bad it was just something new so this year was the first year i decided to film film my hunts um and i was adamant about filming absolutely every hunt so obviously there's more gear involved there's more setup time involved there's more teardown time involved so after a you know a week plus of hunting straight like i was i was pretty beat um just from all the setup and teardown mm-hmm. it was just it was it was taxing physically and then this year, I probably put more time into preparation than I have any other year. So mentally, it was taxing, especially whenever the movement was so slow because of the the weather, if you will. I know some people will say that the warm weather doesn't impact deer movement. Um, I, I say science, yes. Experience, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was a little it was a little frustrating from that perspective because I, I I had a good beat on what was going on on the property where deer. Were, were betting how they were moving and just none of it came to fruition this year for whatever reason. Um, and then probably I think the number one bummer um, of the year for me was, is there was one buck that I watched this summer um, and then he stuck around on our property through um, October mm-hmm. and then into November. And I did see him uh, during rifle season. I had some pictures of him on, on camera, but um, I thought I knew where he was betting. We had one, uh, one, live um visual of him on the mm-hmm. hoof um beans uh, for those of you that don't know beans is my father-in-law that's his that's his nickname he saw him on the hoof uh one afternoon i think the weekend before i came in to hunt um for rutcation and uh 
So between the camera pictures and where he spotted him, I thought I had a pretty good idea where he may be betting. I got a, a nice kind of rainy day on a Sunday. And for those of you that don't know, Sundays in Pennsylvania, you can't hunt. So I used that opportunity to do some scouting and found his rub line. And I found where I thought he was betting out on this point of the ridge behind, you know, about five, 600 yards past the, the clover field. And I knew what wind he was working. He was working a west wind. Uh, and that was the only time you were seeing him in that area on the, on the camera whether it was in the clover field or whether it was in the hollow below. And I got the right wind on a Tuesday and beans. Uh, uh, one of our friends was coming into Turkey hunt and he doesn't get a lot of time to Turkey hunt. And he wanted to hunt down through the edge of that field back that point. And so being the nice guy that I am, I said, sure, go ahead. I'm here all week. Um, go ahead and, you know, hunt that point. You know, I'll go to another spot, went to another spot and he sure enough jumped that eight point out of that, <laughs> out of that bed. So, the lesson there is, is whenever you have a good buck spot, do not let Don't anybody give it up. hunt that Don't spot. Give it up. Yeah, yeah, because uh, he was laying right where I thought he was. I had a tree picked out that was about 40 to, uh, yeah, probably 40 to 50 yards away from where his bedding area kind of started. Mm-hmm. There was a specific down tree that I knew that he was likely bedding under um, that was probably like 60 yards, 70 yards yep. away. Um, and, uh, and sure enough, that's where he was at, and that's where he got jumped in. No one ever saw him again. He did come back, and I did see him on some camera pictures there in December. Yeah, well after the um, season. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, I don't think that he made it um, uh, through rifle season because I, I, I didn't see any pictures of him after that, and he was one that was on our property uh, year-round. So, yeah, so that is my uh, worst moment from 2015. But all things considered, you know, I spent more days in the woods this year than I have in years past. I think I, I think you know, for a guy who works a full time job with a family like you, I was in the woods twenty one days this year during deer season. Yeah, so, nothing to uh, bulk at. Yeah, so that was uh, so that was good. But I think we're running up on time here because I know that you know you and I want to try to keep these um, to roughly the thirty to forty five minute variety. Of course, we'll run a little longer when the content dictates that we sure, do and something that's super interesting that we're talking about. But uh, before we take off, I think we can wrap it up. But do you have any uh, parting shots, if you will, for the uh, listeners before we get out of here? I wouldn't say any necessarily parting shots. Um, I'm just uh, I'm super excited to be involved in this. Um, like I said, and like you said, you know, we've been talking about doing this for a while, and uh, you know, it's something we both you know pretty passionate about and big advocates for. And uh, you know, it's just it's nice to be able to to talk about you know doing this, doing you know hunting and. Uh, um, yeah, just sharing experiences and hopefully, you know, in the near future, hearing from other people as well. So, yeah, absolutely. So here at the end, we'll have just a little bit of housekeeping to do before we get out of here. Um, if, uh, you have any questions you would like to ask us, you can visit truthfromthestand.com and go to our, uh, registration page to sign up for the newsletter and drop us a, a, a note letting us know if there are any questions you would like us to take on. Uh, some of them maybe Phil and I will answer. Others, we may get some other folks involved to answer your questions. Uh, you can find us, obviously, on truthfromthestand.com. You can find these podcasts, uh, as well as we'll be located on iTunes and Stitcher. Um, so please go to those places, download us, listen to us, take us in your car, listen to us while you're at work and you don't want to do work, which is what I often do with podcasts. Um, and if you feel so inclined, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. And uh, leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you all. Uh, until next time, we'll see you soon.
All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.